doesn't do you any good to go to class having not read the book. I can remember a discussion in high school about uh, War and Peace, and some folks hadn't read the book. And it was rather difficult reading for a high school uh, junior. But uh, if you hadn't read the book, you couldn't get much out of it. Well, it's the same way with the Bible. And the Bible is the only book that you'll ever find that instead of reading it, people go read books about it. Um, it it's just that way. Well, read the Bible, and you'll find that uh, it gives a great deal of light on the commentaries that people make about it. Colossians one twenty one, Paul says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Now that's a wonderful statement, isn't it? The wisdom of God was that when the world by its own wisdom didn't know God, it pleased God. Now here's the, here's the pleasure of God. Here's God's pleasure. Here's God's will. Here is the sovereign free will of God. You see, that word sovereign simply means that God is God. Uh, well, duh, who didn't know that? <laughs> you know, he's God with a big G. All of us little G's, uh, God's, God's down here with little G's, you know, we'll try to make ourselves God's. All us little G's don't, don't matter. It's the big G that matters. And sovereign means he just does his will. He's God. That's... The word sovereign isn't in the Bible because it doesn't need to be. It's, it's what the word God is talking about. Well, it pleased God. God's sovereign free will is by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So when Paul says that it's God our Savior will have all men to be saved, the sovereign free will of God is, the pleasure of God is, that by the foolishness of preaching the cross, he would save them that believe. That's why Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. It's not enough just to know the gospel, know about the death of Christ for your sins, his burial and resurrection. You have to trust it. You have to trust Christ to be the Savior that he died for you to be. And when you trust him, God takes you and places you into Jesus Christ. How does he do that? By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. When you trust Christ, you're baptized into Christ and into his body. Now, that's not a water ceremony, of course. I mean, nobody but, but a religious fanatic would think that some physical ceremony that some preacher or some priest accomplished could put you into another person. Can't do it. I mean, just stand there and watch. It doesn't happen. What happens? Well, you just get someone wet with a water ceremony, that's all. Um, the baptism here is one that puts you into Christ and into his body. That's obviously a supernatural, spiritual operation that only God can perform. And then he puts you into Christ. That's the mechanics of positional truth. That's where you get your new identity, because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are pa passed away. Behold, all things are new. All things are of God. Now, that's how a person gets saved, is when they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, then God puts them into Christ. And by the way, in Christ, he says, in, he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in, in Christ, in whom he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. We've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. How did you get in him? You got in him when you trusted the gospel.
So that's really not that difficult a thing. Now, I know, you know, you write me letters or give me phone calls about about how theology says something different, but that's not the problem. The problem is what does the Bible say? The solution's in what the Bible says. And the solution is that God would have all men to be saved, therefore he sent a gospel message out, and to everyone that will believe it, well, God saves them. You want to do the will of God in your life? Get saved. And then once you're saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, God has made every provision for you in order to accomplish that. The next verse in 1 Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. One mediator and uh, the mediator, the go-between between God and man. Uh, the reason that God wants everybody to be, all men to be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is because the Lord Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to make it possible for you to be saved. And he's the, the mediator, the one mediator between God and men. Uh, you need a go-between. You see, God's of pure eyes and to behold sin. He can't look on iniquity. You need someone to go to God for you and uh, settle the account. You need someone who can take God by the hand and you by the hand and bring you together. That's what a mediator does. And the mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the mediator is not angels. You know, there are a lot of folks that want to want to go into the channeling routine and have, have some kind of spirit creature between them and God and talk to them. Colossians 2, verse 18, Paul says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things, listen, which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by his religious mind. The Greeks believed in a hierarchy of supernatural beings who, who oversaw the affairs of men and the affairs of the earth. They lived up on, on Mount Olympus, you know, Jupiter and Apollos and Zeus and all those, those mythological creatures. And Paul says, don't let somebody beguile you by worshiping all that, all that mediation of angels between God and men, that idea, because it ain't so, McGee. You're, you're, you're looking into things that you haven't seen, and you get vainly puffed up by your fleshly mind. You get this idea, of this, this religious hoodly-doo. <laughs> In Acts chapter 17, Paul is at Athens, the, the center of Greek culture, and he, he tells the people there, he sees they're out with all their gods and idols, and he's got an, they've got an altar to the unknown god. And he says, him that you ignorantly worship, I'm going to declare to you. And he says, I perceive that you are too superstitious. Now that word superstitious there is the translation of a, of a $7.85 Greek word. It's a long Greek word, a lot of letters in that, in that word. And it literally is one word that is a sentence. And the word means you fear more demons than anyone else. And your Bible in English, the way you'd say that, is superstitious. To be superstitious is to fear more demons than anybody else. You're too superstitious. And you see this idea of going to angels and having angels mediate. That's just superstition. Because it doesn't happen. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus Christ spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. You see, Jesus Christ is the victor. Angels aren't going to help you. God is giving you somebody who is over the angels, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Somebody else says, well, if angels aren't going to mediate for me, then maybe I'll pray to the dead saints. You know there's a man in the Bible that did that? Dead saints aren't going to help you. The book of Job, chapter number 5, Eliphaz, in his, in his discussion with Job, says in chapter 5, verse 1, Call now, if there be any that will answer thee. And to which of the saints wilt thou turn? But the fascinating thing about the saints in Job 5, verse 1, is that the last verse of chapter 4, he just said, They die even without wisdom. Uh, do not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. That is, the saints he's talking about in Job chapter 5, verse 1, are dead saints. And he says, you know, if you even pray to the dead saints, they can't help you because they're gone and uh, they're not able to come back and do any good for you. Somebody says, well, if I can't pray to angels and I can't pray to dead saints, I'll pray to the queen of heaven. Uh, well, there's some people in the Bible that did that. Jeremiah chapter 44. In the nation Israel, Baal worship had uh, become predominant in, in, in their religion uh, in Israel. And there were people who were worshiping the queen of heaven. Now, I know that, uh, you know, you know you, when you read a passage like this, you can understand why there are some, peop some people, some churches, that don't like their people to read the Bible because it tells on them. <laughs> uh, that's, that, well, that's just the way the Word of God is. Jeremiah chapter 44, verse number 14. Uh, Jeremiah has told the nation Israel and their leaders not to worship other gods. And they answered Jeremiah, and they say, But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, we and our fathers and our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have, have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her and did make her cakes to worship her and poured out drink offerings unto her, you see the, the worship? They're worshiping the queen of heaven. They're burning incense. They're praying to her. They're having drink offerings. And Psalm 4, 16 verse 4 says the drink offerings were of blood. And they're, they're burning wafers. They're, they're, they're making cakes and wafers in their worship. They have a worship service that focuses on cakes and wafers and drink offerings of blood while they're worshiping the queen of heaven. And Jeremiah says, it won't get you to God. Now that religion prevailed all through time past, all through the Old Testament, prevails up today, will prevail out in the ages to come. But it won't do you any good. It can be the oldest religion in the world. Somebody says, ours is the oldest denomination. Ours is the oldest church. Ours is the one that goes, yeah, it goes way back, way back. Genesis 11 it'll go back to. But it won't do you any good. It won't work. It didn't work for Israel. It won't work for you. Well, somebody says, well, I know what I'll do. I'll do good works. Well, good works won't mediate between you and God either. You see, the Bible says, By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, has he saved us, but by his mercy. You see, it isn't what you and I do. Paul says to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. When you want to work, pay for your own sins, you know how long it'll take? It'll take you forever. 
That's why people die and go to hell and are in the lake of fire forever and ever, because it takes forever to pay for your sins. It takes an eternal sacrifice to satisfy the eternal justice of an eternal... No, what you need is a mediator who can do that. That's why 1 Timothy 2 verse 7 says... There's one mediator, verse 5 says, there's one mediator between, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. You see, Jesus Christ gave a ransom for you. He went in and paid the price for your ransom. What was that? In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So Jesus Christ went and paid your sin debt with the price of his own blood. He purchased you with his own life's blood. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God took our sin, put it on the soul and the body of his son, and punished him for you. And Jesus Christ, when he died at Calvary, died for everything that is wrong with you. He paid it all. We sing that song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white. And Paul says he gave himself a ransom for all. That's for you. Then he says to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. The Apostle Paul, the reason that Paul is in the Bible is to be the due time testifier of all that Jesus Christ accomplished. Now, the reason that's important is because when he says he gave his life a ransom for all, that wasn't always testified, to be testified in due time. If you go back to Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28, for example, Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to minister, but to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Isaiah 53, verse 8. Isaiah says, For the, for the sins of my people was he stricken. That's Israel. You see, in, in the prophetic program, Jesus Christ was going to die for the sins of his people, Israel. The angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He says, I'm going to lay down my give my life a ransom for many. And so there are a lot of folks that stop reading right there and say, see, Jesus didn't die for everybody. He didn't taste death for every man. He only tasted death for that certain little group of people called, quote, the elect, who God chose that he would die for. But you see, that's a limited understanding Thus, they have a limited redemption for a limited Redeemer. Paul says we now know that it wasn't just limited to Israel's program, but he gave his life a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle and teacher of the Gentiles. The whole purpose of Paul's ministry is to be the due time testifier of all that Jesus Christ did at Calvary. Titus chapter number 1 you find the same kind of a passage when he says, "In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but has in due times manifested his preaching, his word through preaching, which is committed to me, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. In other words, God had a plan and a purpose, 
that he didn't reveal until it came time to reveal it, and the 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 uh, channel through whom he revealed it was the ministry committed to the Apostle Paul. Some people question Paul's apostleship. Some people deny it. That's why verse 7 has the parenthesis, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. Some people ignore it. But my friend, the only way to keep the message of God's grace, all that God has done for us through the finished work of the cross, the only way to keep that message clear and plain and to keep it grace is to follow the ministry that God has given to us in his word rightly divided. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 13, that I, 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 before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was, was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Can I tell you that that's where you go in your Bible to find the message of life everlasting? It's in the pattern that Jesus Christ gave to you through the salvation and ministry of the Apostle Paul. That's why in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when the leaders of Israel asked Peter, men and brethren, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the reason that the requirements that Peter gave at Pentecost for salvation were different from the ministry from from the the message that Paul gave in Acts sixteen thirty one to the Philippian jailer who asked basically the same question, so as what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul had no right to change the instructions that Christ had given to Peter, except that God Himself had changed the program and sent Paul out with this new message this new gospel message, this full, complete revelation of all that was done at Calvary. And now today, salvation isn't through surrendering your life to Christ or making Jesus Lord of your life or repenting of your sins or praying the sinner's prayer. It's simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, in this moment God will save you, give you a home in heaven, eternal life as a present possession, and you'll have his life. And all of your sins will be forgiven, cleansed under the blood of Christ. And that one mediator between God and man who gave his life a ransom for you will be yours. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior personally, do it today. Yep. I'd like to give you a free Bible study about how to get to heaven. A little gospel tape that will help you understand what the Bible has to say about how to go to heaven, how to have eternal life as a present possession, how to have all your sins forgiven once and for all and forever and for sure. To receive your free copy, simply call me here at our toll-free number, 888-535-2300. That's 888-535-2300. Or, of course, you can write me here at the, at, at the Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. That's The Riches of Grace, 
Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. My friend, we also want you to know about Grace School of the Bible because we have a, we have a rather uniquely designed three-year Bible Institute program available on an extension basis. Our school is, is unique in, in several ways. First, we, we follow the Pauline design for the edification of the believer in our curriculum. Rather, rather than patterning our curriculum after the standard systematic theologies that are uh, used by most Bible institutes and Bible schools and seminaries, we, we followed a clearly designed outline and pattern for edification that's found in Paul's epistles. And what that does is it allows students to grow to maturity uh, the Pauline way and, and to quickly be prepared for the ministry that the Lord has for them. Another, another uniqueness of, of Grace School of the Bible is that it's offered on an extension basis through the use of a video. In other words, we, we send the school to you rather than requiring you to come to us. And what that does is allows you to enjoy the regular sound Bible teaching and edification in the comfort and convenience of your own home and to fit it into your own scheduling demands and the, and the ministry that perhaps you already have where you are. If you are or you have ever desired to be a serious student of God's Word, why not call us today for a free catalog? That number again is 888-535-2300. And let me also say thanks to those who are helping us to keep this program on this station. This is uh, genuinely listener-supported radio. And I hope you're encouraged to know that there are folks in your area who love the Word of God rightly divided and who rejoice in the message of grace and the joy of the grace life. My friend, if you don't have a fellowship to attend this week, where the message of grace is taught from the rightly divided word and the grace life is clearly proclaimed, call me and we'll put you in touch with a group in your area where you can find that fellowship and encouragement. Our number again is 888-535-2300. Or of course you can write me at any time at The Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. And friend, if you're still not sure of salvation, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have eternal life as a present possession, be sure to let us know, and we'll be happy to send you some gospel literature that'll make the way plain. That number again is 888-535-2300. Thanks for joining us today, and until we meet again this same time and place next week, Maranatha. I want to live the blood world Though Satan's guards at me are hurled For faith has called the joyful sound A song of saints on with you wherever you go with our mobile app the word orlando.com alexa tune in iheart and radio.com faith comes by hearing the new am 990 and fm 101.5 the word 
Mark your calendar for Living in Financial Victory with Dr. Tony Evans. God has given you the freedom to mess up what he created. Join us on Wednesday, January 13th for this free on-demand event. You won't want to miss this message of encouragement from pastor, leader, and best-selling author, Dr. Tony Evans. You have now set yourself on a journey of understanding life. Take this opportunity to learn to be a good steward or manager of what God has entrusted to you. Visit the wordorlando.com and register for this free event. Take the word with you wherever you go with our mobile app, thewordorlando.com. Alexa, tune in, iHeart, and radio.com. Faith comes by hearing the new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. A bigger and stronger voice for God's Word is now here. 50,000 watts. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. WTLN Orlando. W26ACT Orlando. Where faith comes by hearing. Make It Clear Ministries has sponsored this Make It Clear broadcast. Looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. In the etymology of the word flattery, it's, it's, it's talking about a dog who wags his tail. How many of you have a dog? Anybody have a dog that still has a tail? All right, maybe some, some dogs don't have tails. I don't know what that is, but they got a, you got a dog. When that dog can come up to you and that, that tail is just a going like this, doesn't that make you feel so good? That's a way to kind of flatter you. Aren't you such a good person? Now, if you have a dog that that dog wags his tail, the next time he does this, now this is cruel, take this off the tape. Go to the dog and simply say this, you're the ugliest mutt, you bunch of dog breath little thing you. And you know what that dog will do? <laughs> you know what that dog is doing to you? He's flattering you. He's making you feel that it's okay to call him that stupid name and be a jerk to that dog. And he just keeps on doing that. Well, let me reverse that. We can flatter other people the same way. Now you might say, well, aren't we supposed to affirm someone and compliment them? Frankly, I think we do that too little. I think we ought to affirm more and compliment more. But I think at the same time, we end up flattering people, and that's also a form of manipulation. Here's why flattery can be dangerous. Flattery is dangerous because sometimes by you flattering that other person... That other person will think they're doing so well and they get stuck on that rung of the ladder of their growth. Sometimes you've got to quit wagging your tail. And I don't mean you've got to growl at them, but you've got to get their attention in love to help them go to the next level. So flattery can be very, very dangerous. Now let me take it a step the other way. Parents, you might say, well, what's the difference between flattering my kids and, and complimenting them? I'll suggest one. You think it through and see if you want to take it further. One way you could do that is this. The things that the children cannot control, then be very careful about not overloading them with flattery and compliments. If your kid is smart, I wouldn't say, you're the smartest kid in school. If your daughter is beautiful, don't merely say, you're such a beautiful daughter. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. That's really nice, but they're really shallow. And as a kid gets older, then they're going to see all that as surfacey stuff. What you can compliment on that which they can control. Son... I noticed you got a good grade here, but you know what I'm really proud of? You spent the time studying. You turned off the television, you walked away from the computer, and you did your work. And I want to commend you on that. 
daughter, you picked out a beautiful outfit that's modest, and I'm sure the Lord is smiling on the choice that you made right here that really accentuates you as the person that God made you to be. Now, however you say that in a language that your child will know that it's sincere from you because you don't want to speak air, you don't want to be manipulative. If that's real, those things are compliments and that's not flattery. So we need to be very careful of flattery because that really doesn't help the other person. Your ministry won't go to the next level. Here's the fifth one. And this one here has the idea of masks in it. It says here, For neither at any time did we use a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Now, if you don't mind, instead of me spending so much time talking about covetousness, because it's talking about a leader who will manipulate the crowd because he's greedy. He's greedy of power, prestige, money, all of that. In this context, it'd be greedy. Now, obviously, I would hope that any relationship you get into, any ministry you decide to lead or serve, that you would not do it because you want to get paid, you want to get a promotion, you want to get a bonus. You're not doing it so that it becomes about you getting something out of them. That's called covetousness. Now, that's enough being said. What I'd rather talk about is the concept of a cloak because a lot of us struggle more with cloaks in relationship than we do sometimes the, the greed factor. And I don't wanna, I'm not saying you're not greedy. We all struggle with that. I think that's one of the three key big iniquities, greed, moral impurity, and bitterness, but that's another sermon. Let me go back to the cloak now. Cloak is another word that we would use the word mask. If you watch uh, in movies in Hollywood, they'll have a mask on, and different masks will represent, it's almost like hypocrisy, and you wear the mask. How you are on the outside, or uh, that mask shows you out here. You could be frowning, sticking your tongue out at the other person, but your mask shows that other person only what they can see and what you choose to let them see. The real you is underneath that mask. So basically it's saying here not to use a mask of any kind, in this case, of greed. I've selected four quick masks for you and I to look at because these are the ones that we as Christians struggle with and why when people get to know us more deeply, we don't have a relationship and then our life and ministry will not last. Here's the first one. We-